Good morning, and welcome to the online worship service here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. My name is Sage Hirschfeld, and I am the religious education intern here at First UU. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are also dedicated to living in right relationship with ourselves, our community, and our planet. At First UU, we come from a long tradition of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. In the spirit of that tradition, we greet the divine in one another each Sunday. If you have access to the comments, please, I invite you to greet one another. And if you are visiting or coming from far away or even close by, please let us know where you're watching from. I invite you to join me as we say our chalice lighting words together. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Reverend Marta I. Valentin is the Professional Development Director in the Ministry and Faith Development Staff Group at the UUA. This is her poem called Waiting. Waiting by Marta I. Valentin. Step into the center. Come in from the margins. I will hold you here. Don't look back or around. Feel my arms. The water is rising. I will hold you as you tremble. I will warm you. Don't look out or away. Life is in here, between you and me. In this tiny space where I end and you begin, hope lives. In this precious, tiny space, no words need to be whispered to tell us we are one. You and I, we make the circle, if we choose to. Come, step in. I am waiting for you. This church has a mission statement that guides everything that we do, and we liked it so much that we wrote it on the wall of our sanctuary and we say it together every Sunday morning. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Some say love It is a river That drowns the tender Some say love It is a razor leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, 
church garden way down deep among the flowers imagining what it would be like to be a tiny creature down here hiding in the grass wondering if big animals are coming around today's story is a very very old one called the lion and the mouse and it's been retold by one of my favorite illustrators his name's jerry pinkney and he's a black american author and illustrator and he does beautiful work with his watercolors the thing about this story is that he retold it just in pictures, and it's a lovely book, but if you can't see, you won't know what's going on. So even though there's no words in this book, I'm just going to tell you the story as we're reading it. The Lion and the Mouse by Jerry Pinkney One night, a little mouse was trying to get home, and she was scared by an owl. She scampered away, only to find herself accidentally on top of a lion. The lion growled and caught her up in his paw. 
please, lion, please, please spare me. If you let me go someday when you're in need, I will come to help you. The lion thought this was really silly. After all, how could a mouse help a lion? But he agreed and let the little mouse go. She returned to her babies, and he went on about his day. One day, not long after, hunters came. They set up a big trap made of ropes deep in the forest. The lion came along the path through the forest, not knowing the trap was there, and his foot got caught. Before he knew it, knew it, he was yanked up into the sky, and he roared the loudest roar anyone had ever heard, so loud that all the animals heard it, including the little mouse. The little mouse knew it was the lion who had saved her, so she came straight away. She saw him tangled up in the ropes. Here I am, she said. I'll help get you free. The lion wondered what the mouse could possibly do to help him out of the situation, but he just waited and watched. The mouse began to nibble. And she nibbled, and she nibbled, and she nibbled some more until the ropes came free and the lion fell back to the earth. He thanked the little mouse, and again they both went on their ways. Trust is earned in the smallest of moments. It is earned not through heroic deeds or even highly visible actions, but through paying attention, listening, and gestures of genuine care and connection. Dr. Brene Brown. Let us now enter into a time of prayer or meditation where we listen to or speak to divinity as we understand it. In some UU young adult worship spaces, this is where we would be invited to finish arriving. To really ground yourself in this moment and in your surroundings. Let us enter into what Ralph Waldo Emerson speaks of as the wise silence. As we continue in the spirit of meditation and prayer, I invite you to light a candle of joy, sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination.
Like many of you, learning to be vulnerable has been a difficult journey. I've had example after example of how to trust and how to keep moving, but the reality of just allowing myself the openness to accept things has been hard and tumultuous. Even when it's been a matter of fear, trusting has not been completely natural to me. But like I said, I've had lots of time to work on learning it. And I've had some amazing examples of how to trust not only myself, but life. And that sometimes my own health, my own wellness, my very existence dances on a thread or relies on a simple drop of water. My godparents were good at trust, good at understanding that vulnerability does not mean that they're weak. It means that they're allowing themselves their humanity and accepting others' humanity as well. They were really good at that. They knew the power of trusting and letting themselves pause and consider. They knew how to lean into and lean out of situations. Once when I was young, I got to see firsthand just how much will and love it takes to simply trust that things will turn out all right. Even when the evidence was non-existent, in the days before cell phones, when GPS was still very young and not always reliable or at all, and your best friend was a Rand McNally map, my godparents took me on a road trip. We had to cross some serious desert during part of the trip, but luck was against us, it felt. There had been a gully washer that covered part of the highway um, and the bridge that we needed to cross was impassable. So my godfather takes his 4x4 that we're riding along in, throws it into gear, and we head out into the desert following the map on this little side road to get to the next bridge down about an hour away. We make it, and it's fine. We get across the bridge without any problems. On the way back up the highway, though, like toward the main road, Things became so hard that all we had was trust. Fuel started running low. And on the map, there was a town that was on the way back. My godparents figured that maybe, just maybe, they'd be able to stop in that town and buy some fuel for the car, just enough maybe even to get us to the next station if they couldn't fuel up completely. Then we arrived at this town that wasn't so much abandoned as it looked like it was frozen in time, like it was built, but no one ever lived there. We continued, my godfather guessed we probably had enough fuel to make it back to the highway without any problems, as long as we were careful. When suddenly there was a clink and a clunk, the engine overheated. There was not a lot of water between the three of us. We each had a water bottle just for the travel. But it's not like we had planned to have to put coolant into the vehicle, let alone make this extra two-hour excursion just to get around a bridge. We were 20 miles from the highway still. We weren't too far, but it was far enough to be a problem. We grabbed what we needed, and we started walking. 
The sun was relentless. It was mid-afternoon, plenty of daylight to go. Yay for us. We would see flickers of light, glints that we hoped meant someone was coming down the road randomly to rescue us somehow. But it never happened. We kept walking. We came across a strange little shed. At first we thought, oh, it's just another little building. It was only a few feet tall, enough for someone to squat up under. Inside was a small coffee can, you know, just a coffee can with a lid on it and one of those old-time water pumps, you know, the kind like with a big handle that you have to push and it's got the old spout and, and there was a note written on the coffee can. Pour this water into the pump to prime it. There will be more water than you will need. Be sure to refill the can for the next person. My godmother opened the lid of the can and there was water inside, mostly clean. It didn't smell off. She tasted it and it tasted fine. Our own water was gone by this point and we were all feeling the dry thirst of having been in the sun where it was relentless. There was no reprieve. There was enough water in that can to refill our water bottles each. It wasn't likely that we were going to see anybody else coming up this road. It wasn't likely anybody else was ever going to have to come up this road. They would never need this pump. They would never need this water. Why wouldn't we just refill our bottles from this and spare ourselves the work? And so my godparents talked it over. This was a hard question because we needed more than just that. But we had no proof we would get it. They tried to decide how to proceed. And finally, before another word was said about it, my godmother just took the can, took the lid completely off and poured it down the spout of the pump with my godfather and I both just staring like, oh my gosh, it was gone. We heard it gurgling down the pipe and it just kept going. And then it went silent. There was a splash, nothing, it was gone. She reminded us that whoever had done this Whoever had put the water in that can originally and written that note had trusted the well to not be dry. And that we had to trust them. We had no choice, but we also had no proof that just because the pump was primed, there would be water to come out. We had no idea that it would even work. That well could be dry. We had no choice. We had to trust. And so we all took turns and began to pump the well. It was a lot of work and it's, it felt like the handle became harder and harder to push just because we were so exhausted. It was so hot, but we had to keep working. We had to keep trying because it was easier than giving up, keep pumping. And we would hear squeaking and shuddering from the ancient plumbing, but it was hollow. There was no water in there. It was empty and we kept pumping because it became too hard to stop because the fear that if we stopped meant giving up completely. We chose not to do that. We chose not to give up until we absolutely had to. We were going to go out fighting if we had to go out at all.
And so he pumped. And then there was a rattle and some muck came out and it just kept coming out and we kept pumping. It was hard. It became even harder. And slowly it thinned out and it cleared and water started pouring out and it was cold and it was clean and it was sweet and there was more of it than we could have imagined than we would have needed and it just kept coming we filled our water bottles with it we coated our clothing with it we got as wet as we possibly could and we stayed there in the shade of that shed just a little hutch and we kept drinking water and resting and coming back to ourselves and we refilled the coffee can put it back where we found it and we kept walking it's easier to look out for us and ourselves and not the potential person who might be wandering through that desert needing water desperately how many times have the person before us thought that too how many people had thought that before us and still trusted we had to pump for our very souls to get water from that well all in the name of survival with no proof that there was water left to draw up from the deep trusting in that was hard but it turns out that trusting it was all we had and that not trusting it was harder So, to set the scene, I had been climbing up a steep, muddy slope for what had felt like forever. I was carrying 60 plus pounds on my back in a backpack, and I was sweating and covered in mud, and I had been looking down at my feet in concentration for so long that I didn't realize I was nearing the top of the cliff until I heard my name and saw a hand reach down to help me up. So I took the hand. And then, in another second, another hand was offered. And I paused, and I heard this voice in my head thinking, do I really need two hands to get up this slope? What will other people think if I receive all of this help to do this task? What would you have done in this situation? Would you have taken both hands? Before I tell you what I did, I'll tell you how I got here. So in the spring of 2020, I, like many of you, had plans that didn't exactly turn out how I expected. I planned to go to college starting in the fall and spoiler alert, that didn't happen. I ended up taking an unplanned gap year and spending most of it working from home and working here at First UU, which has been absolutely wonderful. In April, 
I unexpectedly got an opportunity to take a course with an organization called Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School, where I went into the wilderness for two months, sea kayaking and mountaineering. Before the course, I had never done any sea kayaking or mountaineering, so safe to say I learned a lot. A lot about boats, about mountains, about myself, and especially about giving and receiving help. This story was a learning moment for me. So there I was, back on the slope, and I took the second hand. So I was standing with no hands on the cliff, and I was pulled up the last few steps to level ground. And the first thing I saw were the faces of the girls who had pulled me up. And they were smiling so wide. And I remember looking into their eyes and I didn't see any of that judgment that I had feared. All I saw was pure joy and excitement and pride. Pride in all of us getting up there, no matter how much help it took. All of a sudden we were laughing and yelling and cheering. And I realized it wasn't about judgment or competition or individualism. We were just excited to be there together. And there was this palpable feeling in the air of, we did this. Something I've noticed the past 19 years living in American society is that it's really hard for people to ask for help or receive it when it's offered. And it's reinforced again and again in our culture that individualism is strength. And that an achievement is more valuable if you do it seemingly entirely by yourself. But in the forest, I realized very quickly how false that narrative was. Asking for help is not just necessary, it's actually a gift. It's a gift to yourself because sometimes you need that help. And it's a gift to others because you are giving them the chance to grow through the experience of helping you. And you are communicating to them that they are worthy of your trust, that they are a valuable member of your community. Another day on my course, there was this really steep, rocky section of cliff on a mountain that was really difficult to get down with a backpack on. So I volunteered to go down first, take off my pack, and then come back and help the others get down after me. One by one, I guided the rest of my group down. Sometimes I helped by offering a steady hand. Sometimes it was some guiding words. And sometimes I literally took their foot and moved it down 
to the next flat space that they couldn't see. I want you to think about that for a minute. How vulnerable it is to allow someone to take your foot and move it to a place you cannot see while you are on the edge of a steep mountain and you have a heavy pack on your back. To be on the other end of that, I felt so trusted. To be the person that was allowed to do something that important, keeping my community safe, I felt so lucky. I felt so proud. And you know, before that day, I didn't know that I could get down a cliff like that, let alone help 10 other people do it too. I felt empowered and capable and strong. And you know what I didn't feel? Any of that judgment that I feared in the first story. I didn't think the other people's vulnerability was a weakness. It truly felt like a gift. All of this because others let themselves ask for help. With this in mind, there were times on my course that I allowed myself to receive help, even when I knew I could probably do without it. Accepting or refusing an offer of help communicates a lot more than we sometimes think it does. There were some members of my group that more often than not would refuse help when it was offered. And I noticed that that affected the relationship dynamics in the group. It can be really vulnerable to allow yourself to receive help, but when it goes both ways, and both people allow themselves to lean into that vulnerability, it can strengthen your relationship and form a powerful kind of trust. But when you only offer help and never receive, the dynamic is one-sided and it can make the other person feel less safe in the vulnerability they're sharing. This can weaken relationships and stifle trust. So this week, I'd like to challenge you to consider when you could receive help. Even if it's a situation where maybe you could just muscle through, I'd like you to pause and think about what might happen if you let yourself be helped. What that might mean for the other person. Maybe they might grow in themselves. Maybe they might grow closer to you. Maybe they might grow into their community. Maybe you could give someone that gift. I invite you to join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
invite you to join me in singing the benediction. There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. I'm gonna keep on till I find it. There is more love somewhere. Go in peace, my beloveds. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.